Amen. You may be seated. And as you do so, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This evening we'll be looking particularly at verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, and to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for wonderful portions of scripture such as this. We thank you, O Lord, that your grace upon us is evident, uh, very evident in our salvation. And we pray tonight, Lord, that as we explore the, the depths and the riches of your glory, and the depths and the riches of your glorious salvation which you've given to us, that you would bless our hearts. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And perhaps we can remember that kind of awkward time when we had to switch from being the, the people in our, own, our home that, that only received gifts to being the people in our home who also you know, gave gifts. You remember, you know, perhaps, you know, when you were five, six, seven, or eight, uh, as a young kid, from being the one who, you know, always only receives to being someone, you know, oh, it's my mom's birthday coming up. I want to give her something nice. You know, I want to get her, I want to get her a gift, you know, for Mother's Day or for Christmas or whatever that may be the case. I remember, I think, probably the first gift that I ever gave my mom and rather unglorious, it was a cheese slicer because uh, she used to, she didn't buy all that much shredded cheese, but she would buy the blocks of cheese. And, you know, when I came through the kitchen, I wanted a snack, you know, grab a knife and cut off a, uh, a piece of cheese off of the block of cheese or whatever. And I, I never could, you know, slice it thin. It, it always got sliced too thick or maybe it, you know, it kind of slipped off and, you know, one end was a half inch thick and the other end was, you know, paper thin. You could see through it. And so, you know, I was like, Mother, I don't remember what holiday it was, whether it was her birthday or Mother's Day or whatever, but I was like, you know, that would be a great gift because they have these things that you know, I was walking through Walmart or whatever in the kitchen section and, and saw this cheese slicer and you, you can adjust how thick or thin you want the cheese. I was like, that'd be great. She'd love that. She loves to cook. She'd love that. But, you know, perhaps, you know, looking back as an adult, you know, the intentions were maybe, maybe kind of good-ish but the execution was even worse than that. You know, it turned out really to be quite self-centered and, you know, not too thoughtful. I, I didn't have a remarkable start, you know, switching from being the one who only received gifts to also being the one who gave gifts. I mean, the Christian life, we spend a lot of time asking for God to bless us. And that's a good thing. Right? We ask for God to bless us. He tells us to do that. He, he invites us into his presence and 
opens up uh, his glorious power and sovereignty to us and, and, and tells us to ask him for things. This is, you know, asking for God to bless us is really the, the subject of a lot of our prayers. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's, the, it's the main emphasis of the benediction you know, at the end of the service. So God blessing us really is, uh, uh, takes up a, a lot of the landscape of the Christian life. And he has blessed us, right? He answers those prayers and those, pres- those, those prayers being answered are evident. And they're evident particularly here in verses three through six, really three through 14. This passage teaches us plainly, right? That God has blessed us. But how much does it cross our minds to bless God, right? How often do we make that switch from receiving to also giving blessing. That's really what Paul's doing at the beginning of verse three and at verse three is really the start of an over 200 word run on sentence, right? There's not a period in this sentence until you get to verse 14 in the original language. And so Paul is in a sense really blessing God. Now, now we have to kind of say at the start, you know, we don't really have anything that we can give to God, right? He's all sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need anything from, from us. You know, the only thing that we could give him, if we could give him anything, is, is praise and honor and glory, which is really what Paul's saying, right? Praise be to God. Blessed is God the Father. But nevertheless, the, the question still stands, right? When do we ever think about starting a prayer with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, maybe when we're kind of praying in public and we wanna try to be as theologically correct as we possibly can and we have R.C. Sproul kind of yelling in the back of our minds, you know, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? You have to do them in order. Maybe we start with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in that respect, but, or maybe, you know, when we've had a really good day, really really good week, or we're in a really good season of our lives and things are going quite all right, maybe we, we do kind of finally get around to beginning our prayers with, you know, blessed be God. But how often do our prayers begin with God? We bless you when our lives are not quite all right. All right, how often do we begin our prayers with God? We bless you when our lives are going quite terrible, you know, at least according to kind of worldly standards. How often do our prayers begin with God? We bless you when our bodies hurt or when our hearts hurt or you know, there's nothing in us but, but you know, seems like just pain. You know, when do we begin our prayers that way? How often do we begin our prayers that way? When our worlds are falling apart. You see, it's, it, it's so easy for God's praiseworthiness at least from our perspectives, to wax 
and wane with our circumstances. It's so easy for our recollection of God's magnificence to, to come and to go with our pain. It's, it's so easy only to bless God when there are things right in front of our faces that are so, such obvious blessings. You know, unless we've done the hard work of being reprogrammed by the Spirit to actually use the theology that God has given to us. And that's what we have in this 200-word kind of run-on sentence all the way to verse 14. Right? We have God himself through the Apostle Paul touching on the heights of the glory, of the beauty, of the soteriology that is ours in Christ. And so kind of back to the question that we started with a moment ago, what reason do we have to bless God? Well, we found out from verses three to six that we can really bless God no matter what because God has blessed us. Beginning with the fact that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Yes, every spiritual blessing. And not just that, but every spiritual blessing. Notice Paul's words there in verse three. It's not every blessing. It's not every earthly blessing, but every spiritual blessing. Which if we're honest, I mean, for some of us, that may not tickle our fancies quite so much. Because if we're brutally honest, you know, over the course of so many years, ever how many years we've been on this earth, we've come to the realization that, that God doesn't answer, at least according to what we want. He doesn't answer every single prayer the, the way that we want him to. In other words, we've come to the realization that actually bad things do happen. And so we absolutely agree with the statement there in verse Three, we agree that that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing because he surely hasn't blessed me with every earthly blessing that I've ever asked for. I still hurt in my body and I still hurt in my heart. You know, the person that I love still died. The the fairy tale that I wanted my life to be, you know, it, it never came true. So yeah, pastor, you're right. He hasn't given me every earthly blessing. And also, if, if, if we're honest, we'd probably say that we're a little bit mad, that that word is spiritual and not earthly. And the fact that that little thing happens in our hearts, the fact that that little phrase there in verse three bothers us, it's a tell. It lets us, on, it lets on to something. It tells you know, what our true and real priorities are, right? the things that we value most. And if we're honest, it's not really the spiritual things. It's not really the blessings that come from the spirit of God. It's the things that we can see. It's the things that we can feel. It's the things that we can touch. It's the things that we can talk to and interact with and the things that the Bible says and we've realized by now that all have an expiration date. Those are the things that we desire most. We supremely value all the tangible things that are indeed going to pass away. Whereas, according to verse three, God has determined to give us, to bless us first and foremost with the things in the heavenly places. 
the things that don't pass away, the things like election and predestination in verses three through six, things like, uh, like uh, a redemption that has been accomplished and applied in verses seven through 10, things like being sealed until the last day by the Holy Spirit in verses 11 through 14. Right? Those are the things that God has so richly blessed us with, yet those are the things that we so struggle to appreciate and praise him for. Those are the heavenly blessings that are indeed ours in Christ. And and since they're ours in Christ, they can never be taken away and they will never fade away. Yet most of the time, we'd much rather have things that rust and moth and disease and markets fade away. Things that die. But the point being made in verse three is that all of the most important things that you will ever need, that you will ever need are already and forever and no matter what yours in Christ Jesus. All right, the fact that God has already given us all of the truly most important things that can never be taken away. That's why we can praise him no matter what. And so kind of the the implication is, is we need to stop being six-year-olds. Remember six-year-olds and especially their, their, their kind of dietary preferences only want to eat cotton candy and would only ever eat cotton candy every single day for the rest of our lives if we were given that opportunity, right? While the the Lord is that wise and faithful parent saying, you know, no, you need protein, you need your meat, you know, eat your veggies, eat your grains, all of these things. We would much rather eat cotton candy every single day for the rest of our lives. We have to understand that, that God has given us the, that is nice, wonderful, you know, bone-in ribeye with roasted potatoes and, and instead of eating and enjoying the things that actually build up our bones and cause our bodies to grow, we throw the plate on the ground upside down and, and cry and scream and yell for the cotton candy, the cotton candy that rots our teeth and serves no nutritional value that only really gives us sugar rush, gets us in trouble. We are so often so determined to want and desire all the wrong things and try to find them in all the wrong places. Which is the reason why we realize so often I feel unsteady, I feel weak, I feel so fickle, I feel so fragile. It's because we've only been living off of cotton candy. We've only been longing and and, and looking for that kind of next earthly blessing that's clothed in numbers or clothed in flesh or clothed in something else that's not going to sustain us while God Almighty is saying, here is what you need. Here are the spiritual blessings that will never fade away that are yours. We need to realize the things that we really need. The spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, they're already ours. 
the things that will steady us, the things that will infirm us, the things that will strengthen us are already ours in Christ. The things that are, that are born out by the Spirit of God in your life and are far more nutritious for your soul than the ones made of matter. Right? Those blessings are ours in Christ. Well, maybe, Pastor, you know, that, that sounds really great. But what are those blessings that you're talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll start with, you know, it's the fact, following on down into verse four, verses four and five, the fact that you were chosen by God from the foundation of the world and the fact that you have been predestined to belong to him because that's what God wanted. Right, the fact that the foundation of who you are and what you are and who you will be and what you will be is rooted in something and someone infinitely stronger and sturdier than you are. Someone outside of yourself makes you an immovable person fit for perpetual praise. The reason that your life can be defined by perpetual praise instead of a perpetual pouting is because your salvation is rooted in something other, something outside of yourself, and that something is God himself. This is primarily communicated in, in verse four where it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The fact that God chose you puts your salvation outside of yourself. But what even, kind of what enlivens and and further strengthens even that reality is the fact that it was done before the foundation of the world. Meaning that it was done before heaven and earth had ever been made in Genesis chapter one. Meaning that it was done before anything was created, including time. Meaning that that God's choosing, his electing, his selecting, his picking you was done without any reference to how well you've done in this life. Your having been chosen and selected and picked by God is irrespective of all the really good decisions that you've made on your days here on earth. It means that it's irrespective of your superiority that you may feel towards others. It's irrespective of any of our successes that we've enjoyed in this life, which honestly ought to produce in us a little bit of humility in the heart. You know, even though we're Reformed and Presbyterian, we are not immune to the kind of Arminianism of the heart. Arminianism kind of built around that idea of of I contribute to my salvation. I contribute to who I am in a sense. Though we're members and attendees in a a Reformed and Presbyterian church, we are not immune to slipping into thinking that our salvation is by and large a result of our success. We've done so good. Praise God. Praise God. 
In fact, I mean, some of us are, are kind of driven by that very thing, our successes. We're driven by, by who we are. We're driven by who we've made ourselves to be over the decades. We're driven by all the things that make us better than everyone else around us instead of being driven by the only thing that's actually true, which is our election, our having been chosen before the foundation of the world by God himself. An election or a choosing, as we learn further on in verse five, that was done in love, right? It was done according to the purpose of his will. In other words, your election, your salvation happened because of God's love, because of the purpose of God's will. In other words, you are what you are in Christ because God wanted you to be in Christ. Your salvation happens because God wanted it to happen. Your salvation is rooted and founded and anchored not in yourself but in the heart of God from all eternity. And which as we kind of take a step back from the text and and contemplate for a moment, it means that God's investiture into my salvation is irrespective of me in any way because it happened before I ever existed and it happened because he wanted it to. It has nothing to do with me. And not only was it done before the creation of time and according to God's sovereign purpose, but it was and always will be connected to and founded upon and tied to and rooted in Christ. You see that word several times and even these four verses, right? Chosen in him and predestined through Jesus Christ, meaning that God's investiture into me is not tied to or integrally related or linked to or dependent or contracted upon my moral perfection, but upon Christ's moral perfection. All of my salvation is rooted in Christ himself. My salvation is irrespective of me and rooted in God. And again, some of us need to hear that because pride so easily takes root into our hearts. And instead of being a people marked by by good listening for others, our ears become plugged. Instead of being a people marked by compassion like like the Lord Christ, we're marked only by compassion when we're on the receiving end. Instead of being a people who showcase the glory of God Almighty, we're, we're more interested in showcasing just how glorious we are. Our salvation is irrespective of how good of a person we've evaluated ourselves to be. Some of us need to hear that truth because pride has taken roots in our hearts and others of us need to hear the fact that our salvation is rooted in God and not ourselves because you know, if we're honest, we've had a, a bit of a hard go for the past few weeks you know, when it comes to the Christian life and especially fighting sin. You know, maybe we've let our guard down 
You know, maybe, maybe we've become aware of some you know, kind of long-lasting, long-standing, perpetual kind of sin that's been going on in our lives and it's you know, the shame and the sorrow is just biting at our hearts or, or maybe you know, we've been unnecessarily beaten down by the accuser, whatever may be the case. Perhaps some of us, because of our recent failures, are, are, are thinking about, you know, maybe I'll just give up this Christian life. You know, what use is it? What, 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 what real benefit is there? What, what, what's it worth fighting anymore if I'm just going to keep on losing? And brother, sister, it's worth everything. You need to hear the fact that your salvation is rooted in something outside yourself because you need to persevere. Because if it's rooted outside of you, and as we're gonna find out in just a moment, if it's rooted outside of you and God has predestined for it to happen, it's gonna happen. And so what reason, kind of back to our original question at the start, what reason do I have to bless God today, no matter my circumstances? Well, it's the fact that God's investiture into my salvation is irrespective of me. Meaning that neither my pride nor my stupidity can mess it up or take it away. I can praise God today because who I am and what I am and who I will be and what I will be is not rooted in me, but it's rooted in the triune God of all creation. And so I can't mess it up. I can't take it away. But I also can't stop it from reaching its end goal. In other words, my salvation is rooted because my salvation is rooted in God himself and he has guaranteed its destination. It will happen. Right? Since God has not just kind of chosen me and predestined me to just kind of be, but instead, according to verse five, he's chosen me and predestined me that I should be holy and blameless and belong to him. It means that, that those things I shall become. In other words, you're not just chosen to exist. According to verse five, verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That purpose, we should be holy and blameless before him. We have been chosen in Christ to be saints. We've been chosen in Christ to be spotless and without blemish. We've been chosen in Christ to be holy. We've been chosen in Christ to be blameless. Because in Christ and through Christ, he has predestined us to be members of his family. According to verse five, we've been predestined for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into his family, which means that we're now taking on the attributes of what it means to be in the family of God. We start to look like God. We start to grow in holiness and blamelessness because of who we are as his people, as his children. You see, these two things, you know, 
holiness and adoption, they're integrally related, right? If you belong to God's family, then you must necessarily be made like him. You have to be conformed to his image. You have to become holy and blameless. And again, because those things are rooted in Christ and they're rooting before, they're rooted in, in uh, outside of time before the foundation of the world, because they're rooted in God's sovereign, free choice of what he wanted, of what he desired, then it means that what God has chosen and predetermined you to be, that you shall be, that you will be. God doesn't foreordain, he doesn't predestine, he doesn't choose things to happen that don't happen. It's impossible. And so what God has foreordained concerning your holiness and your blamelessness shall, shall come to pass. Meaning that the, the destination of your salvation, which may look a rather good long ways out there at this point, right? The destination of holiness and blameless. You say, Pastor, I, don't, I sure don't feel holy and blameless right now. Right? Though that destination may look a bit far out because it's rooted in God himself, it is unchangeable. It has been locked in. In other words, God always gets where he's going. Now, you can make that trip miserable if you'd like. But I imagine the consequences for that are going to be pretty steep and you're going to be pretty miserable. But nevertheless, God finishes, always finishes what he begins. What he ordained to come to pass always comes to pass. What he determines will happen including your perfected sanctification. In other words, victory is yours in Christ for the taking. It's guaranteed. And if God has, has determined before the foundations of the world that you will be adopted as his child and, and that you will be marked by holiness and blamelessness, you know, that kind of being the ultimate destination of your life, if he has chosen saying this my people are going there. My people are going towards holiness and blamelessness and they will reach their destination. If that's what he said, which he said it here, and that also means that what he has also ordained, whatever current circumstances kind of define your life in this moment, he's ordained for those to work towards that destination. And if God has ordained for you to be holy and blameless, then he has also ordained for these particular circumstances right now to work towards that holiness and blamelessness. And so whatever your circumstances look like, whether they be good or bad or happy or sad, right, God has ordained them. But even more than that, he's ordained them to work for your holiness and for your blamelessness, which will be fully and finally achieved at the second coming of Christ or upon your death, whichever comes first. 
But the point that I kind of want to drive home in our hearts right here is, is, is that these circumstances God has ordained to use for that holiness and blamelessness. And so I would urge you, don't waste them. Right, whatever God has put into your lap today, don't waste it. God desire, desires to use it to bring you closer to, to bring you closer to your destination, which is holiness and blamelessness. So we can praise God, uh, of course, because of all the spiritual blessings that are ours in him, uh, of which, right, the fact that we belong to God, that our salvation is rooted in God himself, and the fact that our salvation is sure, it, it shall reach its destination, which he set out. We can praise God no matter our circumstances because the end has already been guaranteed. But again, that doesn't change the fact that for many of us, our circumstances are, are still quite hard and difficult. I mean, Paul's were, whenever he wrote this letter, mentions three times that he was in jail kind of stop and think about the life of Paul for a moment, you know, we could ponder the fact, you know, how, how could a man who suffered as much for the gospel as Paul the apostle still wind up in prison saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Didn't he have every reason to kind of be pouty, right? Didn't he have every reason to kind of not be there? Hadn't he kind of put in enough suffering at this point in time in his life? Hadn't he suffered enough already? Shouldn't he be able to kind of retire from suffering? Obviously not. He's aware of the fact that, that, that what this very high theology does, what it's designed to do is root us and ground us in spiritual blessings that are found in Christ so that when hard and difficult circumstances arrive, we have a foundation, right? We have an immovable handrail. We have something to hold on to. We have something sturdy that won't move. We have the tools to be able to deal with it. Again, so that no matter the circumstance, whether I feel like it or not, even though I may hurt or even though I may be dying on the inside, I can still bless God because there are ultimate and essential and life-giving spiritual blessings that are mine in Christ that those circumstances can never take away. I can really, you know, bless God when life stinks because I know ultimately that I'm his and that he's mine. I can bless God when, when I sin really big because I belong to God and God belongs to me. I can bless God because my salvation, including my sanctification, is outside of myself, rooted outside of time in the heart of God and founded upon my union with Christ and his perfect obedience, I can bless God because he has blessed me and his blessings never fade away. 
In other words, in conclusion, as I kind of get it down to the rub here for us, perpetual pouting does not have to be what defines us as Christians. This sort of perpetual pouting spirit doesn't have to be what defines us as Christians because we live in the reality of all of these spiritual blessings. Not the earthly ones that, that kind of come and go, the ones that wax and wane, the ones that rise and fall, but we live in the reality of spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that never fade away. What God has given you here will be yours from now into eternity. How many of the things that we pray for can we actually say that about? But the reality is is that these things can never pass away. And so when we base our life upon blessings and expectations that, that will fade away, I mean, ultimately we will be perpetual powders. We'll always be sad because the things of this world do pass away. But if we base our lives upon, upon these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, what we get instead is perpetual praise. We get to do what Paul is doing in verse three, verses three through 14, while he's in prison, blessing God because of all that he's done. So perpetual praise, not, not pouting, is ours for the taking in Christ. So take it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks that we don't long for just earthly blessings. We don't count on you to just give us earthly things, but you've given us far more than that. You've given us a salvation that is in Christ that we can't shake, that's immovable, that we can't mess up. All of these things in Christ. And so we pray, Lord, ultimately, uh, that you would change our hearts in such a way that we would indeed value these wonderful spiritual blessings in the heavenly places far more, far beyond anything that this world could ever give us. We pray these things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.